With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Cutting through the clutter, this is the Misty Winston Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, hey there, and welcome to the Misty Winston Show right here on today's News Talk. Happy Monday to you. Hope everybody had a great weekend. Y'all, it's like 61 degrees here in Ohio today, and it makes me so unbelievably happy. Um, It is supposed to be nice all weekend long, and in fact, I think next, uh, this coming Sunday and Monday, it's supposed to be nearly 70, and I am so pumped about that. If you know me, you know I hate winter, despise it with a fiery passion, so I'm very excited that spring uh, is right around the corner. Now, this is a fake spring in Ohio. Uh, It's a fake out. Um, We'll get hit with like a week and a half of really nice weather. And then we're probably going to get some ridiculous snowstorm because that's what always happens. Um, if you don't like the weather in Ohio, just stick around. It'll change. Um, but I'm very excited that today was very nice. So I've got windows open in a good mood. Uh, very happy about that. So, okay, let's uh, really quickly, first of all, um, let's talk about what we have coming up this week. Uh, a real quick um uh, switch out. Uh, Stefania Marizzi, who was supposed to be on tonight, is unfortunately not feeling very well. She's under the weather. Um, so we are going to reschedule her. Lucky for us, my pal Kyle Anselone has agreed to step in and fill in for her today. Uh, so we have Kyle coming on here momentarily. Tomorrow, he needs no introduction. The one and only Jimmy Dore. Uh, he will be on the show uh, again tomorrow. So very excited. He's incredibly busy touring and all of that stuff. So uh, very happy that he was uh, willing to take time out for his pal uh, and come on my show. So uh, Wednesday, we have my friend Halo Benson, who uh, has been on the show several times um like a crazy hardcore assange activist on the ground in tulsa uh doing fantastic work she's the one that does the activism in a box uh boxes so uh very excited to talk to her thursday founder of food not bombs keith mchenry who is a bona fide badass i love my chats with him he has the best stories i think him and ray mcgovern i think have the best stories on planet earth um and then on friday we have the one and only vanessa Beely, independent journalist uh based in syria who's been covering uh syria israel palestine the broader Middle East uh, for a very long time, and she's fantastic. So uh, that is going to be a great week. Uh, So make sure you don't miss a minute of that. And then also tomorrow, just a quick heads up, 8 a.m., I will be joining RT's Crosstalk. Um, So if you want to tune in for that, uh, my segment, I think, is scheduled to start around 8 a.m., um so uh or maybe that's just when we're filming it i'm not entirely sure uh but i will be on crosstalk at some point tomorrow so uh check that out um also um i'm gonna complain a little bit here about amnesty international (laughs) i really have a hard time with amnesty international for example today uh they are hosting a an assange event um uh, a panel which i mean cool like that's great fantastic thanks for doing it um they held a congressional press freedom briefing um and agnes calamard was there who is uh i guess the the president or whatever of amnesty international along with chip gibbons um and uh, some other people including one of julian assange's lawyers jen surgeon um however <laughs> I am still waiting. We are still waiting for Amnesty International to do the very obvious thing and declare Julian Assange a prisoner of conscience. It is beyond absurd that they have yet to do that. In fact, um, I covered this, oh God, it's probably been a couple years ago, um, I believe on this show with uh, Mohammed El-Mazi um, uh, on my first go-around with TNT. Um, and he wrote a fantastic article where he looked into uh, the qualifications for being uh, becoming a prisoner of conscience, for them to declare you a prisoner of conscience. Um, he asked them why they hadn't done it so far. They try to pretend like it's this really difficult process. It's not. Uh, you just basically write down that Julian Assange is a prisoner of conscience and you announce it and it's done. Like it's really uh, not a complicated process at all. He certainly meets the qualifications in my opinion. What do I know? I'm just 
some chick from Ohio. Um, but it it is um, it is it, it makes and obviously um, Amnesty International has long been very obviously co-opted and corrupted. Um, but I feel like we need to increase pressure on them. Um, uh, you know, again, cool that you're hosting this panel, but you could do something very simple that could make a huge impact on the case of Julian Assange and on his situation. And so, uh, you know, hosting these panels when you could. I mean, do both, but um, it would be very cool if you could just declare him a prisoner of conscience. That could really move the needle um, in terms of both public perception and also pressure on uh, the American establishment to drop the charges. So um, if you're interested, in, and again, every time I tell you to contact somebody, whether it's to sign on to legislation or declare somebody a prisoner of conscience or anything, anytime I'm telling you, be nice. Like, you don't have to be a jerk. You don't have to be rude. It's fine to be firm. It's fine to be um, passionate about it, but I mean, there's no reason to like cuss anybody out um, or be a jerk. So, uh, you know, if you would like to call Amnesty International and encourage them to do the very obvious and right thing and declare Julian Assange prisoner of conscience, um, you can contact them at 1-800-266-3789, 1-800-266-3789. Um, and again, just uh, express your concern about the case of Julian Assange, uh, the uh, impact that it will have, the implications that it has on on the future of press freedom and free speech globally, um, and then just very politely encourage them to, uh, <laughs> it's so simple, just write it down, announce it publicly, boom, done. Uh, and also you can of course uh, hit them up on Twitter, which I have done already today um, and have been doing for years now. Uh, they are at Amnesty over on the Twitter. So um, if you would like to do that um, and help me with that, that would be fantastic. It's just silly. It just it's it's just one of those things that just it really irritates me because it is such a simple thing for them to do could seriously move the needle uh, and they just refuse to do it. So uh, but there you have it. Um, OK, don't forget, you can follow me over on the tweeters at Sarcasm Stardust. Check out the Substack. It's mistywinston.substack.com. Uh, write up for the day, uh, write up for the guest of the day every day so you can find, follow and support their work as well. Includes links to all of their stuff, makes it very easy for you. Um, and also, if you would like, you can shoot me an email, mistywinston at tntradio.live. Guest idea, show idea whatever hit me up i will try to get back to you and if you just have a general suggestion for a possible guest that you would like to hear um and see on tnt or perhaps you have a topic you feel that we should be discussing uh we definitely want to hear from you uh there's a suggestion form on the tnt radio website it's at tntradio.live and you can help us make a difference right here on today's news talk tnt getting straight to the facts enough with the lies we need facts this is today's news talk radio tnt all right. This is kind of interesting. A new report from the New York Times reveals um, something most of us have already known, uh, how Ukraine has relied on a decade long secret partnership, not very secret, uh, with the CIA to gather critical Russian intelligence and more recently carry out lethal operations during the war. So here with this story, joining me now is TNT News producer Adam Clark, a.k.a. Ruckus. I don't think most people who are paying attention to this are very surprised by this news, Adam, but here we have it, right? Well, this was all news to me because I only pay attention to the New York Times. And if the New York Times doesn't report it, <laughs> it's not real. Uh, so thank you, New York Times. Um, a decade ago, gee, it's been a while since I went to grade school, but I'm pretty sure a decade equals 10 years. It's 2024. So that would make this uh, since 2014. Something's been going Weird. on. What on earth happened in 2014 in know. Ukraine? Oh, wait a minute. It says right here it has something to do with something called a Maidan coup. I don't know what that, no, obviously the, <laughs> the Maidan coup. Um, yeah, uh, since then, I mean, this only makes sense since they were already there, <laughs> uh, that the CIA established itself uh, over this decade, uh, therefore turning itself into one of the major, one of its most major assets in spying on Russia. 
Um, this all according to the New York Times. These are not crazy conspiracy theorists. This is not Putin's buddies saying this. It's the New York Times. Uh, the U.S. specialists funded and organized a network of secret bases on the territory of the former Soviet state and made Kiev a part of a quote-unquote secret coalition against Moscow, according to the paper. They cited, of course, a host of current and formal former officials in the United States, Ukraine, and Europe. Uh, Ukraine apparently currently hosts at least that we know of 12 secret spy bases located near the Russian border that gathers all sorts of information on Russia, as well as coordinate drone strikes and a network of agents supposedly operating inside Russia. The NYT uh, New York Times journalists, they were able to visit one such forward operating base located in an underground bunker, if you can believe it. Uh, the reporters said that the place was used to eavesdrop on Russian military communications and oversee drone strikes on Russian territory. Uh, the base was funded and equipped by the CIA, according to the New York Times. They were citing a senior Ukrainian intelligence official, one General Sergei Dvorsky. The U.S. intelligence agency particularly equipped the base with communications equipment and large computer servers, but not to uh, mine Bitcoin, apparently. Uh, the general said to the New York Times that the bunker was used to hack into Russian, Belarusian and Chinese satellites. According to the paper, the CIA and other American intelligence agencies, plural, also supplied Ukraine with information on Russian troop movements and missile strikes throughout the ongoing conflict between Moscow and Kyiv. The active cooperation between the two nations' intelligence services started almost immediately after the 2014 Maidan coup, and Kyiv has since turned into, quote, one of Washington's most important intelligence partners against the Kremlin, end quote. That's a direct quote from the New York Times report. Uh, they further said the post-coup Ukrainian authorities actively sought Americans appro America's approval by particularly handing over Russian secrets to them since the U.S. has had little interest in assets that could not produce any intelligence of value on Moscow. Uh, so uh, it's a very long report from the New York Times. Uh, so normally I don't encourage folks to read the New York Times, but in this case I do because uh, there are some interesting things in there that you might not be aware of. But this is a great tool to help wake up your normie friends who refuse to believe anything unless the New York Times said so, Misty. Uh, but what do you think about all this? I mean, again, not surprising. I think that um, all of us who uh, have been following this uh, in any way, I mean, even uh, just uh, very casually, uh, knew that this was the case. It was incredibly obvious. That's what the whole Maidan coup was about. It was about the United States overthrowing the democratically elected leader of Ukraine so that we could install a puppet so that we could then, um, you know, use them as, uh, you know, an intelligence service. And now we're using them as cannon fodder. Um, so completely unsurprising. I am glad, though, as you just said, I'm I'm really glad that this is in the New York Times because a lot of people who would who have been calling me a crazy conspiracy theorist for the past decade uh, for talking about this will now be like, oh, well, maybe you were right. It's in the New York Times. Um, so that is I think that that's uh, I am curious as to why suddenly they're reporting this now. I find that to be a bit suspect. And I think that's something that we need to be considering. But th this entire time we've been told um, that uh, Putin's this crazy madman. He just woke up one day and he decided to, um, uh, uh, to invade Ukraine unprovoked. It was not unprovoked. I have been saying that 
this whole time. I have been getting trashed for it this whole time, as have many others. I'm not alone here. Um, but this is this is what Putin knew. He knew that this was happening. He has known that this has been happening. Um, he has known that there have been weapons on his border, that they have been, um, you know, working behind the scenes to uh, potentially overthrow him. We knew that Alexei Navalny was engaged in conversations to um, uh, negotiate a color revolution. I uh, was asking somewhere between 10 and 20 million dollars a year to do that, um, uh, which, by the way, Alexei Navalny, it turns out, actually just died of a blood clot. So Putin didn't kill Alexei Navalny. Um, and that's from a, uh, um, a Ukrainian uh, official. That's not, uh, you know, Putin saying that that's from an, an actual Ukrainian official. But yeah, I mean that this is, this is, this is why, and again, I'm not a fan of Vladimir Putin, but this is why he invaded Ukraine. This is why he engaged in the military operation in Ukraine, because he knew that this was going on. He knew that it was a direct threat to his country, his people, and himself, very obviously. Um, and that is why he took action. And frankly, uh, he was incredibly patient. Um, it took eight years for him to act on it. Um, and that was while people were being murdered in the Donbass and all of that stuff. So yeah, I mean, this is unsurprising. And again, as you just said, I don't usually recommend people read the New York Times, um, in fact, quite the opposite. But I do think that people should go and check this report out. If you can't handle the whole uh, the whole article, the whole report, it is, as Adam said, incredibly lengthy. I'm not even through the whole thing yet. Um, but if you don't want to do the whole thing, um, I'm sure that there will be some great, uh, you know, people doing some uh, like breakdowns of it. I'm sure Dave DeCamp's all over it and other people. So, um, but it is certainly uh, has <laughs> some really juicy tidbits in there for sure. But what do you think, Adam? Uh, also, Zero Hedge has a fairly digestible breakdown, too. That should take you less than 10 minutes to make it through. <laughs> so that's good. Um, yeah, I, I'm guessing. Well, there was there there was another big story, too, that I was shocked to see the fact that Ukraine uh, has a, Ukraine has officially announced the numbers of their their losses and put it at thirty one thousand. Pretty much pretty much the same amount that we've seen happen in, in Gaza in a short amount of time. It took two years of this conflict in Ukraine to. But regardless, you know, they, they've been very remiss to admit that they, you know, that makes it look like they're losing. That's different. So maybe they're trying to finally walk back and get everybody off of the, the uh, being obsessed with this Ukrainian thing. Maybe it's just lost favor. But my guess is Tucker. I think Tucker did it. Uh, the interview with Putin, it exposed things. They can't they can't they can't discredit anything that he said. So eventually it was going to have to come out. So now they're just trying to get out in front of it. That's what I think. Well, speaking of Tucker Carlson, there's also a report out today that um, a Russian uh, was detained. He was preparing to kill Tucker Carlson while he was in um, uh, Russia recently. So uh, somebody has been arrested on that. It's all over uh, Twitter. If anybody wants to go and check this out, numerous people are talking about it. Um, but it says here, a Russian was detained. He was preparing a terrorist attack to kill Tucker Carlson on instructions from the Ukrainian special services. Apparently he was offered um, $4,000 to successfully complete the task. My guy, you could have got more. Um, uh, but apparently he uh, planted an explosive device under a car that was located in the the underground parking lot in the building of the Four Seasons Hotel, which was where Tucker Carlson was staying during his visit to Russia uh, on February 1st through the 8th. So certainly also a very interesting story that came out today. There's a lot of interesting Russia-related stories uh, uh, out today. So um, I would definitely keep an eye on this uh, this story as well, the Tucker Carlson assassination attempt, because um, that's super interesting. I'm curious to see how the United States government reacts to that, because you know we want to wag our fingers at people who kill journalists, except for when it's us or Ukraine, apparently. So uh, I'm very curious to see how that's going to play out. So uh, 
Uh, Adam, thanks for bringing us the story. We will talk to you again tomorrow. As always, hang tight. We've got Kyle Anslone right after this here on today's News Talk. TNT's Jason Olborn. Donald Trump today defeated Nikki Haley in South Carolina, some 61 to 39 percent in that primary event there, which almost secures him the obviousness that he's going to be the Republican candidate. And Nikki Haley, as many might know, was the governor of South Carolina and she couldn't hold that state. And yet she persists in hanging in there, almost white-handing the system and just being one of those hammer-ons that looks like she's representing the globalist interests rather than the interests of the people who are supporting the Republicans, which is anything but pro-establishment. Weekends with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk TNT. When a crisis hits close to home and across the globe, nonprofits are on the front lines ready to serve. Keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. The demand for charitable services has skyrocketed, and nonprofits are rising to meet the needs. Healing, nurturing, rescuing, honoring, protecting. Caring, inspiring. The work of philanthropic organizations of all sizes across all missions has never been more important. And it's donors and volunteers like you who make all this possible. Thank you. Together, we change the world. The Nonprofit Alliance. Our next steps to space. This time we go back to the moon to learn to live, to work, to invent, to create. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, our guest tonight is Kyle Anzalone. Uh, Kyle is the opinion editor at antiwar.com as well as the news editor at Libertarian Institute, which you can find at libertarianinstitute.org. You guys know I love both of those outlets. They do fantastic work. Uh, they have some great people over there, so check both of those out. Um, he's also the host of the show Conflicts of Interest, which you can find anywhere that you can find podcasts as well as on YouTube, Rumble, and Odyssey. Um, and of course, you can follow him over on the tweeters at Kyle Anzalone underscore, and that is A-N-Z-A-L-O-N-E. Uh, Kyle, thanks for coming back to the show my friend always happy to be on the show misty yeah i appreciate you jumping in uh to fill in uh hopefully stefania's feeling better soon um so i wanted to start we have a couple of kind of um uh, just kind of loner articles that we're going to talk about then we're going to dive in pretty hard to israel palestine if there's some time uh we'll cover some things on ukraine but i wanted to start with because this as soon as i read this i was like oh my god we live in the car we live in a cartoon so uh the, the, it's at the libertarian institute it's only three in ten americans Makes me so sad. Uh, we're aware of U.S. troops in Syria prior to deadly attack. Holy cow, Kyle. Only three in 10 Americans were aware that we're in Syria. That blows my mind, my friend. Yeah, Missy. So this study was conducted by YouGov along with Bring Our Troops Home. And this is before the attack that killed three U.S. Uh, troops in Jordan, which you know, the, the troops were in Jordan, but they were there effectively in Syria. You know, the U.S. has erased the border between Jordan and Syria there and created a little America stand around the Al-Tanaf base on the Jordanian-Israeli border, Jordanian-Syrian border. And so, um, you, you know, that is all U.S. territory effectively out there. We don't let uh, Syrian forces enter that territory. I think within about 55 kilometers of our base on the Syrian side, we work with the Jordanian 
Ukrainian. So we allowed them as our proxies to enter the territory. But yeah, so th this is where these troops were. And before that, only 30% of Americans knew that U.S. Uh, troops were in Jordan. I think only about a quarter of Americans knew that American troops had been attacked in Syria prior to those three troops getting killed uh, in Jordan, which is quite astounding because there were hundreds of attacks, uh, not hundreds, but well over a hundred attacks on U.S. soldiers in Iraq and Syria uh, before the three attacks killed the Jordanian soldiers. And so, you know, Misty, you, you wonder if those three soldiers would maybe be alive if the American people were aware that our troops were being bombarded in Iraq and Syria. You know, we could have pressured our government to do one of two things. I, I, I advocate for doing both, but we could have done one of two to save the lives of those soldiers one we had stopped arming and supporting the israeli genocide in gaza or two we could have withdrawn the u.s troops that are occupying iraq and syria and then these troops would have never been along the jordanian syrian border there's no reason for them to be out there other than to support the u.s operations in syria so yeah that that's uh that was that article yeah um and it's just uh i i don't know why i'm surprised um it's uh par for the course but i think that the, what really uh, smacked me in the face is just how much of a failure our media is because that is why people don't know i think uh obviously there is some personal responsibility if you are a united states citizen um you should probably uh, at least try to be aware but it is incredibly difficult to find information about this stuff on your own you have to know where to look you have to know which sources are valid you have to know how to vet sources you have to know how to read things critically um and kind of parse through them and figure out what's legitimate information and what is spin um so and i think most americans are <laughs> Um, overwhelmed with just trying to survive at this point. Uh, everybody's working two or three jobs. And if you have kids, you're screwed. And uh, it's just, it's impossible to uh, even find time, uh, you know, to like have a life, let alone um, educate yourself on these kinds of things, especially if it's not, I mean, you and I, obviously this is what we do. So we are thoroughly entrenched in it. But if you're just the average Joe Schmo who works at, you know, some factory somewhere, you don't have the time and or energy to dive into this stuff. But the, the, I mean, as you just said, if people were more aware, and they should be, um, the more pressure could be applied to the United States government to bring those people home. They are illegally occupying Syria, have been for a very long time. There's no reason for them to be there other than, as you just said, um, to aid uh, with you know U.S. actions and with Israel and all of that stuff. So um, uh, that's really why I wanted to talk about this, because uh, it is just so frustrating to me on several different fronts. Obviously, the media aspect drives me crazy because that's something I'm a bit obsessed with. But um, uh, just the idea that... Uh, only 30% of people knew. And Syria, like, that's not, that's not like a hush-hush a type of a situation, right? That's, I mean, we, we've we been there for a very long time. I mean, Donald Trump very openly said we're there to take their oil. I mean, it's something that has been fairly openly discussed for a, a while now. And so um, it's just very frustrating to me that people aren't aware of this. And uh, I mean, I guess they are now. Um, okay, so let's uh, jump over to, um, you have a, a, I wanted to talk about China. Obviously, you and I have been talking about China for a very long time. Um, and and the situation there has been escalating, unfortunately. Um, and you have an article out from February 19th, Pentagon developing naval drone swarms for war with China. All right. So what the heck's going on here, Kyle? Yeah, Misty. So this is a program that the U.S. has been working on for a few years now. And I believe we talked about this on your show Maybe over a year ago, the U.S. was developing drones uh, swarms for aerial assaults on China as well. And so now they want to have 
uh, thousands of aerial drones, naval drones, all different kinds of drones to swarm China should a war with Taiwan break out. Of course, the U.S. defense officials claim, oh, this is deterrence. We're going to become so big and powerful right off of China's coast that rather than you know, China building up their military capabilities to, uh, you know, make it so the Americans aren't a deterrent, but rather forces they could overwhelm, that China is just going to bat down and agree with the U.S. that no, Taiwan is no longer a part of China, and the U.S. gets to assert their dominance everywhere and treat the Pacific Ocean like an American lake. And and China isn't going to uh, consent to that, just like, you know, the U.S. wouldn't let Beijing bully whatever status the U.S. wants to claim for Hawaii or Alaska or something like that. Um, and, and this is the situation here. And, and so the U.S. is doing their best to have this massive military buildup in the Asia Pacific and claim its deterrence, but they're going to uh, potentially stumble their way into an actual war with China that could really be bad for the people of Taiwan or the Philippines. Yeah. Yes. And I think that that's the plan, right? I mean, they've been setting the stage for this for a long time. Um, frankly, I think that that's what Russiagate was about. I think that they they weren't quite ready to take on China in that way at that time. And Russia was kind of a placeholder boogeyman um, uh, for them to talk about. Obviously, the two are working together in some aspects. So I think that that was an easy kind of lead in for them to go after China. And I think that obviously there's that kind of built in fear of Russia in the United States um, from leftover from the Cold War. So I think that that's like an easy thing for them to uh, uh, to build up that kind of boogeyman, the, that Putin's a boogeyman. But uh, there's no question about it. Like you just said, we've been talking about this for a very long time. This has been in the works for a very long time. This is something that they've been trying to get set up. It's always been on the back burner. I think it's moving more towards the uh, front of the line in terms of um, priorities, which is terrifying. Um, so yeah, th the idea that we think that China's going to just back down is so absurd. It's so absurd uh, that anybody would even think that for one hot second. So uh, China's not going to back down, y'all. That's just not a thing that's going to happen. They have no reason to back down. Um, they can handle themselves and they also have some very powerful um, allies. So uh, there's no question that uh, China will absolutely uh, fight back if they are provoked and or attacked. And you're right, that could be really bad for the people uh, of Taiwan and the region in general. And frankly, for the United States, it, it's bad for the, it's bad for us too. Uh, the more we spend on war, the more conflicts we get in, the less safe that we are. Um, and I think that that's just uh, very obvious. It's so weird that that's, um, you know, like a controversial statement. So, okay, let's take a quick break. We're going to get some headlines, then we'll jump back in and talk about Israel-Palestine. So hang tight. We'll be back here on TNT. Okay, everybody listen up. Big news. Big news. For real big news. Here we go. Now, TNT Radio News. For TNT, this is James O'Neill. On February 24th, a coalition led by the United States and the UK, including Australia, Bahrain, Denmark, Canada, the Netherlands, and New Zealand, executed strikes against the Houthi group in Yemen. Mauritius denied docking privileges to the Norwegian cruise line ship Norwegian Dawn, citing health risks, and sampled about 15 isolated passengers for testing. The House Judiciary Committee disclosed the existence of a whistleblower from the office of Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis. Why not give TNT Radio a follow? We're on all major social platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time right here on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. TNT Radio. And don't forget to go to tntradio.live and click the donate button. Help us out um, uh, if you are enjoying what we're doing. We need uh, free speech platforms. God, do we need free speech platforms. 
we need them. We need them. We need them. We're losing them uh, at a rapid clip. So uh, if you can head over and you have something to contribute, um, uh, we would certainly appreciate the help. So, okay, we're here with Kyle Anselm. We're talking. Uh, we're going to jump now into Israel-Palestine. Um, and I wanted to talk first about the aid situation. You have several articles out over the last, um, I don't know, month or so since you've been on. Uh, not quite a month, I don't think. But um, uh, so, but I think that there we've seen this situation breaking down um, over the course of time. But I think one of the uh, more significant pieces that you have out is um, at antiwar.com. Uh, oh, wait. Nope. Hold on. Got the wrong one. Uh, oh, that must have clicked out of it. Hold on. Hold on, y'all. We got it. We got it. We got it. Um, so uh, you have one that talks about, um, uh, oh, here we go. Uh, so it, it, officials war- U.S. officials warn Israeli disruptions to aid is turning Gaza into Mogadishu. And I think that this is super interesting. I'm sure that m- most people have probably never heard of Mogadishu. So can you explain to us what that is, what this means, uh, what's going on here? Yeah, Misty. So I've probably written a series of, I don't know, about a dozen or so articles over the past month, really trying to document and keep up with the Israel blocking aid and what they're doing to stifle or strangle aid going into Gaza. And this is something that I realized pretty early on in the conflict when Israel was going as far as they were, uh, not just to decimate infrastructure, but particularly in shut down medical infrastructure, the destruction of hospitals in northern and central Gaza, particularly uh, the Ali Hospital and the Al Shifa Hospital. Uh, you know, I realized there's a real chance here, Misty, that the the more lethal threat really wasn't going to be the Israeli bombs and bullets. It was going to be the humanitarian crisis provoked by the Israeli war. And this includes starvation of young children, death from preventable diseases like cholera, uh, acute malnutrition in children under the age of five. And things like, you, you know, acute malnutrition under the age of five will have lifelong implications, uh, both physical and mental health impacts on these people you know this is very serious what is being inflicted on the palestinians right now and it's very intentional and very multi-pronged from the israelis and it's very nefarious for that reason so there's a multitude of ways that israel is preventing aid from reaching gaza one is they're preventing aid from being unloaded at the ports and this is done by the israeli finance minister uh he's preventing even u.s funded flour and other uh, baking goods and staple goods from the Palestinian from being offloaded from an aid cargo ship and then being able to be distributed into Gaza. And then, of course, you had the Israeli claims that 12 members of the UN Relief and Warts uh, Agency, UNRWA, participate in the October 7th attack. We now know from the Wall Street Journal that even the U.S. intelligence community has low confidence in those claims. They say, you know, those claims are not nearly what the Israelis say. And from the Washington Post, they document that one uh, of the 30,000 UNRWA employees was in uh, southern Israel on October 7th. That's not something that signifies a vast infiltration of UNRWA by Hamas. And those claims were used by the United States and several other Western agency, uh, Western countries to pull their funding from UNRWA, which coordinates most of the aid going into Gaza. It's really the most critical agency. There's a lot of other agencies doing good work, but because of how many Palestinians are currently in UNRWA facilities and just because of the logistical nightmare gained aid into Gaza, UNRWA is extremely important. And so then you also have 
uh, Misty, Israeli protesters delaying the shipment of aid into Gaza by just blocking the trots and protesting in front of the border crossings and the checkpoints. And the Israeli forces don't hurry the protesters along by any means. They, they allow them to linger and to blot these trots. Additionally, you had the inspections regime by Israel, which in some ways resembles what Saudi Arabia was doing to Yemen during the seven-year uh, blockade of Yemen from 2015 to 2022, where they prevent even essential goods like medicines, antibiotics, uh, anesthetics, painkillers from reaching the people of Gaza, always saying, oh, these are dual-use items, meaning that a member of Hamas could take an antibiotic and have their infection cured so so could a child in gaza and for that reason we're not going to allow it in even if one item on a truck has something that's banned they made the whole truck go through the process they denied entry and so there's a huge backup of trucks entering gaza almost even worse misty is that there was a police force in gaza that was helping the aid shipments get to where they needed to go there's so many starving people around the border in rafa that aid can't get northward because mobs of people are blocking the trots and rather than allowing that police force to operate the israeli forces began targeting those police of course the israeli government says oh this is hamas this is just a police force that operates in gaza and that has blocked any aid really from getting out of gaza for the most part and then uh there's only about 100 or so trots entering gaza aiding aid into gaza every day at this point and also israel is revoking visas or not granting visas to humanitarian aid workers and then if uh, aid workers visa expires, they're expelling them from Israel. And so now these agencies are understaffed on top of everything else. And I know that's a lot to digest, but that is, like, like I said, the multi-pronged effort Israel has to block aid from entering Gaza. And this is really a lethal threat. There was a 45-day-old baby, Misty, that uh, succumbed to starvation in central Gaza this week or last week. Yeah. It's horrible. It's and like you said, I mean, obviously the bombing campaign is horrific. Um, you know, seeing people blown to bits is never a good thing. Um, but I think that people are um, or at least have been so preoccupied with that. I mean, listen, rightfully so. Right. That's a it's a very violent campaign. Uh, the images that are coming out from that kind of stuff, seeing children being pulled out from underneath rubble, all of that stuff is very dramatic. Um, but I think that what's happening now is so horrific. It is so um, inhumane. I mean, there's really just, uh, there aren't words strong enough to describe what's happening right now. And, um, uh, you know, hearing that a 45 day old baby is dying because it is starving to death and that children are resorting to eating grass, um, because there's nothing else for them to eat. And the idea that Israel is, and not only is Israel blocking, um, uh, there's protesters and things like that, but the, I mean, I saw a video, um, where they're like setting up bouncy houses. <laughs> I mean, like it's a party, it's like a street festival as they're protesting, uh, aid getting into starving children and it's just so grotesque to me um and it's uh it, it also makes me really angry when you hear somebody like Antony Blinken talking about how oh we're the biggest contributor to aid to Palestine and that okay my guy that stuff's not getting to Palestine that stuff is being blocked by Israel and has been this entire time um obviously some aid has gotten through very little very very little um certainly nowhere near what they need but I think that that is just the um uh, the absurdity of them trying to pretend as if they are in fact 
listening aid, which again, just blows my mind that that's something that they would even say out loud, given the fact that they are also providing the bombs, which are blowing kids to bits. Um, uh, like I always say, you can't send the bombs that are blowing people up and then uh, send some bottled water and think that that makes up for it. That's just not how it works. So yeah, this is horrific. And uh, again, Kyle has several articles out um, over the past uh, you know few weeks uh, regarding the aid stuff, both at the Libertarian Institute and at antiwar.com. So go and check that out um, and share this stuff because I think it's not it's not getting anywhere near enough talk. The AIDS situation, the starvation, the famine, the disease. I mean, they can't get medicine. Um, so, uh, you know, people are uh, getting very, very ill and with completely preventable and curable illnesses. Um, and people are dying because they just don't have the proper medication. Uh, and it's just and also the anesthetic stuff really <laughs> breaks me. I mean, thinking that there are kids who are having to get limbs amputated with zero anesthesia. Uh, I mean, I just can't imagine women giving birth without any epidurals or anything like that. Not that that's, I mean, women are made to do that, but in those conditions, it's just so horrific. So, uh, certainly something that we need to be discussing more and putting a ton more pressure on, uh, both the United States and Israel to allow that aid to get through for sure. So, all right, hang tight. We're going to be right back right after this here on today's news talk. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. You all know Dr. Jill Biden. Of course, she's the first lady. Here she is humiliating herself while talking to Hispanic Americans. As distinct as the Bogodas of the Bronx, as beautiful as the blossoms of Miami, and as unique as the breakfast tacos here in San Antonio. <laughs> so say it with me. See, say Broadway. The future is ours. A brain surgeon, apparently she's not. But she is a very selfish woman. She's the reason, I believe, that Joe Biden is being pressured to run for another term. Obviously, he can't handle it. I think she's selfish, and I'm not alone in thinking that. Kennedy of Fox News recently said the same thing. But Dr. Jill has gotten so addicted to the glitz mm -hmm. and the free dresses, and maybe they're not free. Yeah. They're very expensive dresses. Yeah. Uh, but the spotlights, the state dinners, mm -hmm. the private jet. I know it's Air Force One. Yeah. But, you know, the, the yeah, filthy, dirty people who fly southwest, they're not on Air Force One. <laughs> She's got a house full of servants. Uh -huh. They cater to her whims. It's called elderly abuse. And I find Dr. Jill Biden guilty. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on TNT. I tell my son, I love you every single day. Now, my dad has never said that to me. Not because he doesn't love me, but because culturally it wasn't comfortable for him. Now that he's a grandfather, he says, I love you to my son every time he sees him. My advice to all the fathers out there, forget the cultural restrictions. They grow up way too fast for you to waste even a single precious moment. Cutting through the clutter, this is the Misty Winston Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, we are here joined by my pal Kyle Anslone, who uh, is with antiwar.com as well as the Libertarian Institute. Check both of those places out. Um, follow, like, subscribe, share, all that stuff. Uh, they do great work over there. So um, uh, I also wanted to talk to you about the uh, hostage deal situation because um, you and I have talked about this. In my opinion, I don't think it's ever been about the hostages. We know that Israel has the Hannibal Directive, which they claim is no longer um, a matter of policy. I think that we've seen that it most certainly is. Um, so I don't think it's ever 
ever really been about the hostage situation. I think that that's just a ploy for them to be able to continue this stuff. Um, and we've had a couple different things come out over the past uh, few days or so. Um, so uh, let's talk about first, um, uh, the U.S. presented a new Gaza hostage deal. This is from an article that you wrote for antiwar.com on the 24th. Uh, U.S. presents new Gaza hostage deal. Hamas and the Israeli government have not agreed to the deal. So can you tell us a little bit about this deal and whether or not it has a chance of, uh, of being agreed to? Well, I don't think so, Misty, but this is being presented in the me mainstream media as a deal that is progress towards a hostage deal. This was negotiated by the U.S., Qatar, and Egypt. There was no involvement from Hamas or Israel. Uh, the Israelis said that Hamas made concessions, but I'm not sure if Hamas could really make concessions if they didn't weren't involved in the negotiations whatsoever. So what I think this is, Misty, is this is a propaganda ploy to the American people. If you listen to Linda Thomas-Greenfield, the American ambassador to the UN, after the US vetoes another ceasefire resolution at the Security Council, she says, we have to do it because we're working on a hostage deal and this ceasefire resolution will get in the way of a hostage deal. And the American people, I don't think necessarily believe that, but now a couple days later, there's headlines in the news saying, oh, there's progress towards a hostage deal. Suddenly the, the propaganda kind of made sense. So I think that's what's going on here. I think the Israelis are going to play ball just a little bit. Netanyahu instructed the Israeli uh, diplomats that are, I, I, the Mossad chief is attending these talks, actually. That's who's representing Israel. And he did instruct the Israeli representative that they could uh, voice the Israeli opinions this time. In the past, he had just limited them to listening and not talking and being involved in the discussions. And I think you're right, Misty, that getting the hostages back for Israel is a secondary goal here. The main goal is crushing and destroying all the infrastructure of the Gaza Strip. And we've seen that done uh, essentially now like 80% of the way. There are now 1.5 million Palestinians sheltering in Rafah. And Netanyahu says that's next, even if he does agree to a hostage deal. Yeah. Yeah. You have another article out, which is the what I was going to go to next from the uh, the 26th, which is today. Netanyahu says hostage deal will only delay attack on Rafa. And listen, y'all, um, uh, as Kyle just said, they've already pretty much destroyed uh, Gaza proper. Um, and they were telling everybody that you need to flee to Rafa. That's the safe place. Right. And then uh, now there are plans to attack Rafa, which is um, a, a tent city. It's just people. Or, I'm sorry. 1.5 million people living in tents um, just kind of smushed in there, crammed in there. Um, and it is just mind blowing. And I think that. Um, frankly, I think that the worst thing uh, that Israel would see, in their opinion, would be for hostages to be returned because then they no longer have a justification to continue this thing. And I think that that's that's what they're using. I think they're using it as an emotional ploy within their own people, within their own uh, the the people of Israel. I think they're using that as an emotional ploy. Oh, we've got to get our people back. We've got to get our people back. I don't think that they've ever cared about that at all. Um, I think that that they would love to see that hostages be kept for as long as possible because that allows them to continue uh, these attacks. But um, yeah, can you tell us a little bit about Rafa? Because we've heard some uh, rumblings about it here recently. There was an attack on Rafa. Obviously, as it is said, you have this article out that Netanyahu says that a hostage deal will only delay the attack on Rafa. So that's going ahead regardless, right? Yeah, that, that's what Israel has said at this point. The IDF presented plans to the Israeli War Cabinet this weekend uh, for the battle plans for Rafa. Benny Gantz, who is an opposition figure to Netanyahu, but a member of the War Cabinet, 
said that that attack would go underway uh, by the star Ramadan, which is March 10th, if not all the Israeli hostages are released. And with Netanyahu's statements there, I don't think there's going to be a total release of Israeli hostages by Ramadan. Uh, if we've seen the process and the timeline for that, that just doesn't seem realistic. One more thing I want to mention about this hostage deal, Misty, is uh, another propaganda point that I think the Israelis and the Americans are getting away with, where the Israelis will release sometimes tens or hundreds of Israel, uh, Palestinian prisoners, detainees, whatever you want to call them, hostages, essentially, in exchange for Hamas releasing hostages, even including Israeli uh, prisoners of war, soldiers who were captured on October 7th, not necessarily all civilians. And they made this out like the Palestinians are getting a good deal. But if you want to go back to October 7th and just keep track of who's taking hostages, thousands of Palestinians have been rounded yes. up. And so if we're talking about an equal deal here and a release of all hostages, that has to include all the political prisoners held in Israel, Palestinians held in Israeli prisons. That has to include all the minors and the thousands of people rounded up in the West Bank. That's a fair deal, right? If yes. hostages is a problem, then a release of hostages has to be done. And, and yes. so that's another kind of imbalance that's never presented fairly in the, the Isra uh, U.S. and Israeli mainstream media. And, and Missy, I will say, I think the hostage propaganda is more for the American consumption than the Israeli consumption. I think in Israel, consensus of crushing Gaza, you know, we've seen these celebrations in the streets yes. of Tel Aviv with uh, 15 members of the Israeli Knesset, including the ruling Likud party, uh, celebrating and planning the settlement of Gaza by Israelis. And, and if you look at what's happened in the Gaza Strip already, and, it, you know, I just looking at the situation realistically, I'm not trying to say the Palestinians should give up their claims to Gaza by any means. But at this point, there would have to be a massive reversal in Israeli policy. They haven't let the kind of building materials into Gaza in probably, you know, 15 years or so uh, that, that is needed to rebuild Gaza. And if you don't have a massive rebuilding of infrastructure that's going to cost maybe hundreds of billions of dollars in Gaza, the Strip isn't going to support 2.3 million people. And I just can't imagine an American president, particularly when, you know, we got Joe Biden for at least another year. And then after that, it seems our options are Trump, Haley and RFK Jr., who, if anything, compete for just being more uh, sadistic <laughs> in how they want the Israelis to treat the Palestinians, uh, th that it doesn't seem there's anything on the horizon here that's going to cause the reversal in Israeli policy needed to rebuild Gaza. And so it, it almost seems like at this point, Missy, is just going to be how fast the genocide is going to occur because if, if you don't have aid entering Rafa, if you only have a hundred trots a day and there's at least 1.5 million people crammed into the city, the number is probably more because Israel has been attacking con units for weeds and there's been people fleeing from that city into Rafa. Uh, it just, there's not enough infrastructure there to support the amount of life. And don't forget, as I said before, Israel is not letting new aid workers come into Gaza and is forcing those whose visas expire out. So there's less people to help the people that are desperately in need. I, this situation is awful. Essentially, Missy, what I'm trying to say is our government has already allowed Israel to commit the genocide in Gaza. And at this point, it's just a matter of how bad it's going to be for the Palestinians till it's completed. 
Yes. And it's unfortunately um, a genocide in slow motion. So uh, we have to watch this play out little by little over time. And I'm so glad. Thank you, Kyle, for bringing up the fact that the uh, the hostage um, switch or whatever the exchange is, um, that is such uh, garbage because as they are, as Israel is um, releasing however many, let's say they release 100 Palestinian uh, prisoners, hostages, essentially, um, they have gone and kidnapped another 200. So it's not a net gain for Palestine. They are... And by the way, this includes children. This and uh, this is not new, Israel. This is not something that's just been happening since October 7th. Israel um, essentially kidnaps and detains children by the hundreds every single year and has been for a very long time, not to mention the, you know, however many they're killing. So yes, the hostage negotiations and the hostage exchanges and all of that stuff um, is, uh, uh, I think, uh, serving several purposes, one of which is, de- is definitely PR. There's no question about it. Um, so yes, I'm glad that you brought that up because I don't think that that gets talked about near enough. And also I wanted to talk very quickly about, um, uh, there's an article out and this just makes me mad. Uh, Netanyahu's post-war plans for Gaza call for military occupation, quote, without time limit. This guy, this guy is got to be one of the worst human beings to ever walk the face of the planet. He is just so repugnant. This is my opinion. Come for me or don't. I don't care. Um, uh, but this, I mean, he's already said that there will never be a Palestinian state, which is, um, you know, it, we all know that, right? But I think that there's been a desperate attempt, at least in the United States, to pretend as if that that was an option. It's never been an option. Well, I mean, there may have been a time where it was an option. It's certainly not been an option for a very long time. So can, can you tell us a little bit about uh, uh, this latest Netanyahu garbage? Yeah, Misty. So I think this is partly Tel Aviv caving to pressure from the U.S. and the international community and even somewhat the Israeli military. We're not for saying that, look, you got to have a day after plan. You got to have a plan for what's going to happen when the, the war ends, because, you know, we have to be able to talk about and craft that policy. And if Israel doesn't put something forward, then the White House can't start pushing Israel in the direction they want, even though, you know, they're only going to voice their concern. They're not going to actually leverage any aid. So the White House has been asking Israel to put forward this plan for some time. And I'm not sure Israel really intends to follow through with it, Misty. It sounds kind of wild where there's going to be a north and south section of the Gaza Strip. There's going to be probably a two kilometer wide Israeli barrier in the middle. It's unclear of how why that middle barrier will be, but they say they want a kilometer on each side of where they're going to put their forces. And it seems like they're building a highway down the middle of the strip to build their uh, to put their forces in there. And then they're clearing again a kilometer on each side and a kilometer of everything within the border of Gaza. And so they want these two little chunks of land in the north and south of the strip, and they're going to stick all the Palestinians there. I don't think there's going to be any major rebuilding efforts. So these Palestinians would essentially be uh, living in tent cities or maybe in some of the rubble left over from the Israeli bombing campaigns. So this really doesn't sound like a workable or practical plan at all to me, Misty. And I don't think Israel intends to ever allow Palestinians to return return, uh, to the northern half of the Gaza Strip. But this is essentially going to be uh, approved by the U.S., I think, and that will give Israel the cover to go ahead and destroy large swaths of the Gaza Strip. And then, you know, as time goes on, they'll update their plan to involve having to destroy more and more and more of Gaza until, again, the Palestinians are just completely eliminated. Yeah. Yes. Um, I mean, it's, as you said, like, I don't want to tell the people of Palestine to give up, give up their land, you know, all of that. Obviously, I don't think that that's something that they should even have to consider. But um, it, it, just watching this is so horrific and um, the absolute uh, 
the callousness with way, uh, that they discuss this with, I mean, both uh, Israeli officials and American officials, it's just so gross to me and it's mind blowing that it's happening. So they're not, it's like, uh, it is center stage. I mean, we're watching a genocide essentially live streamed uh, and it's just happening. And it's, it's insane to me. And it, it, I mean, it should be really, this should really strike fear in all of us because if they can do it like this out loud in the open with no apologies, um, uh, they can get away with just about anything. And I think that that's a really terrifying prospect. Okay. So I want to talk to you really quickly in the last few minutes here about Ukraine, because obviously uh, we talked about at the top of the hour, there's this big New York times piece out um, where um, breaking news, Kyle, the CIA is involved in Ukraine. I mean, it's insane to me that any, I get it. The average American maybe didn't know that, but for anybody who's been paying even the tiniest bit of attention, um, we all know that the CIA was behind the 2014 coup in Ukraine and has ever since been uh, very thoroughly entrenched in the Ukrainian government um, and has been uh, taking care of everything. But you have a really interesting article out here from uh, February 22nd at the Libertarian Institute. U.S. officials see Ukraine as an active and bountiful military research opportunity. And this, again, just makes me mad because we are once again using this country, using the people of this country um, for nefarious purpose, for, for very selfish purposes. And this is just one example. So tell us what's going on here. Yeah, Misty. So our government is run by psychopaths. And I don't yeah. know if you saw it, but uh, <laughs> Matthew Miller, the State Department spokesperson, was confronted by Matt Lee, the, the AP journalist, yeah. uh, about the U.S. Uh, going to war with countries we disagree with. And Miller just starts laughing, like cackling in, in this crazy way. And, yeah. and then you realize, like, wow, these people might actually be psychopaths that are running our government. And that's why we have things like this, American officials saying that, well, you know, the war's not going well for Ukraine, but it's a lot of good military research on the Russians. Now, nowhere in this article and nowhere do American officials seem to express any concern that maybe Russia has also gained a lot of good information on how to fight a war against NATO here. Uh, but they say this has given them a lot of good information on how they're going to fight a war with Russia. I don't know if that's true. I'm sure they believe it's helpful. What I think this is going to actually do, Misty, is cost all of us billions and billions of dollars because the Pentagon has found out that the way they've been uh, structuring their munitions over the past dozen of years or so in, in the Middle East, you know, one of our priorities have been that since we're fighting insurgencies and things like that, we need to develop very precise, precision-guided munitions. That way we could even say kill one person traveling in a car, kill people in one room of a house or only the basement or only the third floor or whatever stupid thing they want to come up with to justify their reason calling it precision-guided munition and percent like it doesn't kill civilians when you have high explosives hitting buildings but this is what they've worked on and they found that these are actually really ineffective on the current battlefield because of gps jamming and how electronic warfare has developed and so now they need to de develop whole new strategies to take on that and again misty i think it's going to cost all of us billions of dollars 100%. And when I read this article, when you uh, published this article, it reminded me of Hillary Clinton saying that Iraq was a business opportunity. Um, and yeah, we are absolutely, our government is controlled by psychopaths. It is insane. Uh, we really need to stop elevating the worst among us to positions of power. It's a bad plan. It's not working out great for us. So if we could stop doing that, that would be super excellent. Okay. Uh, Kyle, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, uh, last minute, I appreciate you filling in for Stefania. Again, I hope Stefania is feeling better. Um, and again, Kyle is the uh, opinion editor 
editor at antiwar.com and the news editor at the Libertarian Institute, uh, which you can find at libertarianinstitute.org. Um, you guys know I talk about them all the time. I use their stuff all the time uh, on the show. They do fantastic work over there. Um, and Kyle also hosts the incredible show Conflicts of Interest, which you can find wherever you can find your podcast and then also um, on YouTube, Rumble, and Odyssey. So definitely check that out. He does a great job. If you want like a, um, he does several shows a week and he just does like a foreign policy breakdown, uh, covers his own articles as well as some of data camps and anything else that happens to be interesting. Uh, but it just gives you a really quick, um, you know, usually like 30 minutes, maybe 45 minutes of a show um, where he does a breakdown of everything foreign policy related, which is super helpful um, uh, when I'm trying to get uh, all of that stuff jammed into my brain. So uh, definitely check that out. Um, and Kyle will be back on, I'm sure, uh, very soon. So, and oh, and also you can follow Kyle on Twitter at Kyle Anslone underscore. So definitely check that out as well. Uh, again, Kyle, thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate you as always. I'll be back tomorrow with the one and only Jimmy Dore. So do not miss that 5 p.m. Eastern right here on today's news talk. As Julian Assange says, learn, challenge, act now, and don't go anywhere. Timothy Shea's right after this here on TNT.